Hey, what's good, everybody? Welcome back to your favorite podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Keith B., and this is the F Your Feeling podcast, the statement that's actually a question about faith, family, fatherhood, friendship, and everything in between. I got my brothers back here for another season, for season two, episode one of season two. We're starting it off right in Black History Month. Oh, man. Welcome back, y'all. How y'all feeling this, this evening? Woo, feel good to be back. Man, look here. You know, I miss y'all brothers, for real. So, yeah, it feel good. feel good. Excellent. Good to see another year. Good to have something to come back to. That part, that part. Mike, go ahead. Tell me how you feeling, bro. <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Anyways, man. Yeah, man. I mean, we we, we, we took a few weeks off. Um, your boy truly uh, had a... Uh, Flu Rona. I was joking with Mike before the end of the year, like, nah, that can't happen. You know, there ain't no way it's going to overlap like that. And yours truly definitely had both of them back to back. So I praise God for, you know, giving me that divine healing and bringing me back. So that way we can uh, do another recording <laughs> and hopefully be a blessing unto those to our listeners. And with that being said, shout out to all our listeners. Oh, man, thank y'all for sticking with us all last year for season one. Um, it was our, um, our our first, you know, season of, of, of recording this podcast. And for a lot of us, our first podcast ever. And so we want to thank y'all for sticking with us, man, and, and appreciate y'all uh, showing us love by downloading and listening. So um, continue to do so. Tell your friends about us. And by all means, um, you know, hopefully you could take away something good from what we said or, you know, even if it was just to make you laugh or smile. Um, th- that's what we're here for. All right, man. So we, uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about. It's it's a lot of stuff going on um, in the news, and you know, and just in general in, in today's time, um, you know. And then again, like you know, we start off with Black History Month. Yo, it's some craziness kind of going around, centering around Black History. Like uh, some of these states are like wilding right now about literally trying to cancel Black History Month. Like, <laughs> can you even do that? Like. You know what I'm saying? Talking about like, oh, black teaching black history is going to make people feel bad. So we shouldn't teach it. And I'm like, what kind of shit is that? You know, (laughs) that's what they've been working on for the last year and a half, conflating critical race theory, CRT, with uh, black history. And of course, they don't say it like that, but they cast such a wide net and generalize when they say CRT, which is not even they don't even properly define what it is, which is a graduate level legal theory course that um, it basically becomes meaningless and it can mean anything that makes me feel slightly uncomfortable having white skin. Let, let's just be upfront about what it is. So yeah, you have legislatures kinda, all over. Go ahead. It's just messed up, man. Like first and foremost, CRT, I, I, I don't like that title. Like there is nothing theory about niggas getting their ass whooped on the street or getting shot at by cops and, you know, without due process, there is no theory around this. These are facts that we've seen in, in, in our news. And if you talk to any to- old timer that's been around, I mean, they would tell you this ain't changed since slavery. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I don't like it being called a theory. And, and to be honest with you, like if, if you treat it for what it is, you know, historical facts, mm-hmm. um, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's just part of history, but it's the part of history that, unfortunately, the majority of our country doesn't want to acknowledge 
um, and, and they don't want to accept because then they would know or they would have to uh, swallow the fact that um, there are people that look like them that have done some terrible things in our country. So, Paul really was <laughs> in the Klan. Exactly. And, and see, I think that's that's the part. That part right there, it, you can't deny the, the time gap. Like, that was grandma time period. That was grandpa time period. Um, and especially when we start talking about critical race theory and all, even saying black history. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to say black history is American history. Amen. You know, it's, 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 it's the most American it's history. Ugly, you know what I'm saying? For real. Like, it's the ugly side of it. But still, boom level, it's American history that they tried to wipe away and act like, hey, nothing happened. That was way back then. We're so different now. But whenever we look at the cultures, we our, our grandparents talked to us about those situations. We were here. We were there. But our counterparts on the other side of the table, they grandpa like mm, that was way back then. We ain't talking about that no more. Right. We ain't dealing with that. Even the pictures they put switched the pictures to make them in black and white to make it seem like it was a a long time ago. That's in the past, but no, not so much. Anybody that's 50, 60 years old, remember very clearly um, the things that were going on, especially our grandparents, man. So that's, I, I kind of have a problem with even even like the whole black history I'm, 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 with me growing. I'm like, no, that's American history. And you got to swallow that nasty pill, which was created right here in America. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I got an argument one dude because I said the same thing. I said black history is American history. You can't pull them apart, you know, and, and he, you know, he said his rebuttal. I ain't gonna lie. I ain't hear it. Uh, and then I made the argument. I said, name a war we ain't fighting. I'll Come wait. on. Come on. <laughs> I'll wait. Because I mean, bro, like I, I literally so I'm a I'm an ambassador for um, African-Americans committed to excellence. It's an employee resource group on my job. And so um, you know, I partnered with one of our um, veteran ERGs, uh, you know, he, he wanted to um, collaborate and, you know, basically create posters of of um, uh, black black American veterans that have received the Medal of Honor Award uh, throughout history. And so, do I'm, you know, I'm doing my research. I'm I'm on Google. I'm on Wikipedia. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming across some courageous brothers that did heroic works for America. Mm-hmm. Who who fought and died for America? I mean, and then you start reading their biography, and you're seeing how their own, you know, people in their own platoon was like, "Yo, we don't we don't want to fight with them because they black." Absolutely. So, yeah. so now they so now they got an all black platoon, and I'm gonna just say it like this: dumb brothers was putting in work. Absolutely, <laughs> they was they was putting yeah, in man. work. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. They they, yeah. they, they, they was they nipples. was a big. Big part of World War II, big part of Vietnam. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, how can you how can you make that argument? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, and just real quick, um, so it, it it's funny we sitting here talking about it. You know, everybody. You know, all of us are correctly talking about what is really being attacked, which is Black American history. Um, when people when the right, whoever you want to call it, is saying CRT and they don't know what they're talking about. 
let's just be precise and define what critical race theory is. And I'm just going to read the first sentence of the definition off of Wikipedia for the benefit of our readers. So everybody's on the same page, readers, listeners. Uh, critical race theory is a cross-disciplinary intellectual and social movement of civil rights scholars and activists who seek to examine the intersection of race and law in the United States to challenge mainstream American liberal, that's the ideology, not the political wing, left-leaning, whatever, approaches to racial justice. So to be 100% clear, CRT, critical race theory, is a graduate level law school course of study. So anytime you hear anybody talking about they're teaching CRT in the schools, first of all, these little kindergartners, first, second, third, through 12th graders, they don't have the mental capacity to, to really take this course of study. And second of all, you know, it's this, this is a legal theory. So it, it's a red herring whenever you hear people in, in the news talking about, oh, CRT is coming for our kids and all this kind of stuff, because all of us that are paying attention know that they're talking about anything that has to deal with racism or American history, Black American, which is American history. So I just wanted to put that point of clarification out there so everybody's on the same page. Because a lot of our folks that don't even know what, what the game is, you know, what, what all the, the terms and definitions are. Absolutely. And this Absolutely. is not new, by the way. This has been around since mid-20th century. So, And see, and that's, that's, the, that's the crazy part about it because now it's like, okay, it's a real conversation. It's a conversation of, okay, Let's make let's correct the wrongs that have been taught for years. Let's look at it from a true lens instead of the lens that have been painted over time. So and, and my, my thing is this. If I made a mistake, I teach. Well, if my kids made a mistake, I teach my kids. Hey, look, this is the mistake you made. Let's go back. If it was to somebody, let's apologize about that. Let's make that right. And now let's learn the lesson from it. So looking at it from that lens, we've been learning history totally wrong when it comes to us as African-Americans. We haven't been honest about it. Everything, even Martin Luther King, they teach the, you know, I had a dream. But then they leave out, you know, economic empowerment that he was talking about, begin to talk about, you know, black excellence and advancements. They leave those parts out. But then again, they want to water it down and then make make it look like it was all all sugar and sweet. And when it was no, more than empowerment. He was man, talking about a labor revolution. They called him absolutely. a communist in his day. Bro, he was number one uh, enemy of the state. That J. Edgar yeah. Hoover was like, bro, he worse than Russia. Like we need right. to the King family him, sued the FBI over his assassination and won. Come on, bro, bro, and that that's the beautiful part about. But guess what? They're not teaching that. Those are things we had to go back and read. Those are the that's the side of the story that we got when we got older and had to, had the hunger to go and find out. Okay, what was this really about? Why did this happen? And that's what that's why they so pissed off and so afraid for people to learn. Be like, okay, whoa, 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 crap. That's not true. This stuff that we've been learning is not true. Okay, granddad. Was you at a lynching when you was a kid? <laughs> you know, and then that's a whole different conversation that they have to have at that dinner table outside of what, you, well, you know that they're different. You know, they they wear their pants like this. They wear they, they, they hats like this. They listen to this kind of music. 
it's a different conversation. Be like, okay, granddad, of course. But were you here? Did you take part in this? Were you a part of the clans? Did you vote for legislation that allowed redlining? (laughs) Did you vote for Mm. the people that went to the USDA and denied black farmers uh, loans and all that kind of stuff? Did you vote for the administration that put the DOT together that said, hey, we're going to run all these interstates through black communities and cut them in half and destroy them? You know, did you vote for the crime bills that incarcerated black people at higher rates? You know, it's 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 uncomfortable. And the funny thing about it is it's not even just right versus left. There's oh no. No. (laughs) People try to paint this as an older conservatives, the only ones that Mm -hmm. do it. You know, they might in general, they might have been more upfront about it, but there's a lot of uh what did Martin Luther King call them? Um white moderates that are more interested in preserving the status quo than they are about serving justice. Yeah, dude, they got to stop looking at the red and blue. Dude. Like, I'm going to just tell you like this. First and foremost, some of the most conservative people I know are black people. Come on. That's a fact, bro. Yeah, like, I'm from the South. Dude. Like, almost every black person I know in the South is, 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 is conservative. So I, I don't even want to, you know, jump too much into that, but I mean, stay right there, though, with the infrastructure stuff, man, because, see, that's the that's the issue that I have with, you know, America and, and where we are. Like a lot of that stuff really, really needs to stop and it needs to change. And to be honest, man, I mean, I don't know, bro, like I don't I don't want us to turn into a cancel culture where, you know, anybody that says anything, you know, we go after them. You know, I, I don't I don't want to be uh well, but. I ain't going to go there. All I'm going to say is I just don't want to be like other groups in, in that sense where like, you know, people can't express how they feel. But at the same time, we still need to push the narrative that this stuff needs to change. Um, yeah. And, and that's the key. You know, by and large, when we talk about it, when you talk about the Black Lives Matter movement and all that kind of stuff, whether or not you agree with the organization specifically, I, I'm down with Black Lives Matter as a concept. Don't really mess with the organization too much because of some of the right, stuff they right. get up to. But other people come in, pile this stuff on top of our cause, and then it gets warped and distorted and opens it up for attack by other you know, people, ill actors and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, cancel culture is, is BS. What we really need to get into is accountability. And that's what really scares people is being held accountable for the positions and the actions that they take. And that's that's uncomfortable for a lot of people because by and large, you know, if you fit a certain demographic, you're not held accountable in this country. I mean, like, what, what, what was the kid that, um, what, in college, went behind there, took advantage, not took advantage, attacked some girl behind a dumpster, and he got off? Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Because the judge didn't want to ruin his life. Yeah, because you know he has a bright future ahead of him. It's like, come on. Yeah, not right, the life know? of the not the life of the victim. <laughs> not not the victim who had to experience this and live this situation and has to be reminded of this every single day. Walking not the around vic- campus. Right. Yeah. No, dude, we don't we don't see that play out like that mm. on so many levels. And so that kind of brings me, you know, into the second topic and and you know. I know, I know we're not a sports channel or a sports podcast, but, um, you know, th- there's something that's really big going on in, in today's news surrounding um, the, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, Brian Flores. And, you know, Lorenzo, you just touched on um, accountability. I mean, this brother is doing what many would consider career suicide 
by suing, I'm going to just arguably say probably the one of the most profitable sports leagues in all of sports history in the NFL. And he's trying to keep the league accountable for something that, to me, I mean, they, they, they put in something, what they call the Rooney rule. Um, you know, and for our listeners, if you don't know what it is, you know, I, I suggest you Google it. But nevertheless, just to summarize, it basically says that every ball club that's part of the NFL has to interview um, a, uh, a, a minority candidate for a head coaching job that, that's vacant. And so um, this brother has undergone some really uh, interesting, um, well, I won't even say interesting. It's, it's actually, it happens a lot more often than most of us think, but he, he, he's undergone some interviews with some ball clubs where he's literally walking in for an interview thinking he has a shot at the job, but somebody's literally already been given the job and they're just doing the interview just to satisfy the rule. Um, and the way he found out, which is low key, it's, it's funny, but it's not funny. His old head coach text him saying, hey, congratulations. I heard you got the job. And then he was like, well, coach, I ain't even interviewed yet. So what you talking about? Come to find out he had another Brian in his phone that was a white dude. And he was like, oh, my bad. I text the wrong Brian. And that's how he found out about it. You know, and then he even what was even crazier was that this this man got on the job in Miami his first year, they was trying to tank for uh, a higher draft pick. His, his, his boss, the owner offered him a hundred thousand dollars for every game that he would lose on purpose. Allegedly. Allegedly. I, I, I trust what the brother said. That's wild. To, 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 <laughs> I, it's, it's crazy, bro. And so it's like, okay, so you telling me you want this man to fail knowing that when, when he fails, I mean, let's just be honest. Like, you know, at best, you got in the NFL about three seasons. Three seasons to really turn it around. And so you already going to take a whole season away from him to prove himself. And even then, he still finished with a record of right. 24 and 25. Come on. So I'm just saying, bro, like, have y'all ever, maybe not personally encountered, but have you ever seen a situation where the 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 advertising that there are equal equal uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for, bro? Like equal, equal opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. yeah, equal opportunity for for whatever opportunity that's being presented by whatever corporation. But realistically, they just trying to fit a status quo. And Ooh. that's that's I mean that's just real though. Like that that happens more often than than we want to admit. Yeah, and then I even then, that all the time. Yeah, dude, they'll do the interview, but then realistically, they're not even giving the brother or sister a real shot. So, well, and that's where about. I wanted to be contrarian on that. Um, how much of that is corporate culture versus inherent bias? So, follow me for a second. How many times have you seen an, uh, a job description where it's very specific to the individual that they want to select, but because of the uh, the application, the the opening is put out to the public. They are going to interview multiple people. So, how much of that is corporate culture? How much of that is inherent bias? How much of that is, is racism? And, and I'm asking it that way because I, I like the fact that we challenge each other's thoughts. 
You know, cool. what what I what I personally think is um, the Rooney Rule was created, as Keith said, in 2003 by Dan Rooney, the owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, to provide opportunities for candidates that normally won't get interviewed. And, and, and speaking of inherent bias, it is commonplace that people like to like people that remind them of themselves, that look like them, think like them, sound like them. So, like, for example, if it's time for me to do another podcast, I'm looking at y'all first because y'all are my people, not my people just because we're black. Y'all are my people because we have a relationship. So when it's time for these opportunities and interviews to open, these people are looking in their they're, they're within their circle first. So and that's why I'm like, you really it's 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 a, it's a slippery slope to me um, to say that it's 100 percent racial. You know, for example, you know, um, Bill Belichick had Brian Flores in his phone. Why? Because he was on his staff. You know, he's within his circle. Well, was in his circle. He He's probably dead to him now. That's me being honest. But <laughs> but I, but I asked that. Those are the things that I was thinking about looking at this situation. You know, as, as a person who has watched sports for a long time, we know, and I'll just say it because I know Keith will too. If you are a black coach, you get one shot. Just mm. one. And you have to win. And uh, And if you want receipts, I got you. Mike Tomlin is the second longest tenured coach in the National Football League. Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. However, every couple of years, hey, Mike Tomlin, you know, Michigan got an opening coming up. Or, hey, Mike Tomlin, University of Southern California has an opening coming up. And they're asking a coach who's never had a losing season, who's won a Super Bowl. Step down. Is, would he, is he willing to step down? Well, and that's probably one of the things that rubbed the the, the coach that, that Keith you were talking about the worst way because all of us all of us talking here know when one of us fails, it's not just the individual. If you're a black person, it's every black person that fails in the eyes of yeah. you know this country. So you know you asking this coach to come in and he going yeah he gets a hundred thousand dollars, which is chump change in in that world oh. for every loss. The the damage to his reputation and the reputation of black coaches in general. <laughs> Come on, how you how you how can you put a price tag on that kind of damage? Yeah, dude. I mean you're right. I, I, it's uh, oh, go ahead, Dave. I'll, I'll be the other side of that though, um, Mike. Because here's my thing: I stopped watching football because of the racial issues that was portrayed in the NFL. Going back to Colin Kaepernick, whenever you know, what I'm saying the kneeling started when. It would it was blown totally out of context for what he was trying to do. Then they it spun off into a whole big thing, which was for me was racially motivated. So whenever I see situations like we're talking about now, that's just how it's how it's been played for years. I do feel that is is it has a racial undertone to it. Simply because the past history of the NFL and the way they've handled the situation throughout the past 10, 12 years. But you look at, you know, the NBA, which handled it totally different. It's a, it's a whole different vibe from football to basketball whenever you start talking about um, players expressing themselves, expressing how they feel speaking out against wrongs that's been done to the community in which they come from. 
So that's my take on like, nah, it's it's not right because of the history. And, and, and time and time again, there have always been issues whenever you look at the NFL, the players and coaches of color. I agree. Yeah. Let's tangent real quick. Um, and, and since we're, we're here, why did Colin Kaepernick start kneeling? Really? No, no, I know, I know, I know. Really, like the 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 actual. Why did he start kneeling? I'll say it. Um, a former Green Beret that was a walk on football player at the University of Texas, uh, Nate Boyer. He was on the practice squad, and then I think he played a couple preseason games for the Seattle Seahawks. Nate Boyer walked up to Colin Kaepernick, who was sitting down during the national anthem, and said, "Hey, man, I think it's more. I think it's more respectful if you kneel, because." This is this is for my Christian people. My Christian people, when we're talking about showing reverence, we kneel, right? Mm-hmm. When before you pray at night, you kneel. When you're proposing to somebody, you kneel. When you're just showing someone respect, if you look at uh, knights and those sorts of things, you kneel. You kneel right. to show respect. And I just think that's funny that a green beret. Told Colin Kaepernick, I think kneeling is more respectful. And what has happened to Nate Boyer? Nothing. So just just want to leave that. That's because it was never about the act. It was always about the person. Mm. There you go. Mm. So just I I think more. I think more was the defiance of how dare you? (laughs) Don't you know I own you? There you go. That part. (laughs) That Ryan part Torres said in the statement that, and, and, and I 100 percent agree because I even heard Ryan Clark's rebuttal. He compared the NFL to a plantation. Oh no, he did. He did. Oh. Now, 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 on the first day of Black History Month, right? I know. <laughs> Jesus. Now, once Lord again, mercy. I'm gonna say it like this: Ain't nothing compared to no. working for free. Getting your ass beat, having your women raped, Mm. all kinds of killings and lynchings, ain't ain't nothing going to compare to that. However, I understood what he said when he said that based off of the vibe that the NFL, because like, I mean, I I look at the situation in, in Houston with Deshaun Watson, and that's why he's really being as a fight. Now, I know he got allegations against him, but I find it funny our allegations popped up right when he started speaking out and standing up for what he believed in and in, in, the, in, the, in the direction that the team was going in. Um, nevertheless, until those allegations have been resolved, I ain't going to say I'm for or, 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 or against him. I'll just say let, 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 let due process happen. But with that being said, whenever someone has tried to speak out against the league, you see the quick knee-jerk reaction of how the owners in the league are, are very quick to uh, handle or reprimand a situation. Mm. Um, and sometimes without even knowing all the facts. So, yeah. They, uh, what, what was the word? Um, my, my favorite terms that people use, they didn't use this one, but it was the same sentiment. Of course, everybody categorically denies uh, these allegations that are uh, frivolous. And what, what's the other word? Meritless, frivolous, yeah, whatever the terminology yeah, yeah. is. Where in reality, I think that a bit of empathy probably would have been the better approach. 
you know, we we understand that, you know, everybody is a work in progress or something like this. But again, if you show any empathy, that from a legal standpoint could imply accountability. Right. And they don't want to write Brian Flores a check. They don't. They don't. Well, like, let's be honest, though. Look at look at how quick they were to react to Brian Flores. But look at the John Gruden situation. You feel me? They had to do oh, he'll be back. Entire, entire mm. investigation. Yeah, no, and, and he probably there's probably a chance he will be back. But but they they let John Gruden coach like another four five games before yeah. they you know and even then they was telling the owner, hey, you need to you need to tell him to step down. You know what I'm saying? They didn't publicly say John Gruden about to get fired. Like, and that's the part. That part they didn't come out and fire him. They allowed him the opportunity to step down to give him the opportunity to come back and at at a later time after everything's done done smoothed over. So yeah. in in those type of subtleties that that's why like for me the NFL like to be very honest that those type nuances of of the league is what I don't like. I love the pageantry of the game, I, I, all of that, but still the back end of it, nobody's accountable for the BS that happens. And then it's like, okay, let's throw another big game, come on, and everybody forgets everything. No, not so much. I feel the like truth be told, we 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 pay their check. If everybody stopped watching, guess what? Yeah. Not even yeah. Ooh. It's just, so it's, it's, it's tough, okay. Well, only the only thing I was going to say, bro, is like, for instance, like I – I love the game. I, I don't. I don't love the league. I love the game, and th- that's just. It's like music, right? Yeah. Like you hear so many musicians talk about the industry and how they can't. This. I mean, it, it's literally ran by Satan. It's what half of them be saying. <laughs> but ain't nobody gonna stop making music because music is is needed for the soul. Right. So it's 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 it's, it's tough. It, at yeah. least for me, it is. But go yeah. ahead. And just real quick, I want I want to close the loop with the the question that Mike asked a while ago about you know he made the example you know hey you know if if all of us were in some business venture or something you know we know each other you know you you like being around people that look like you it's human nature to a degree um, so you know what's what's really the problem with with how the NFL runs its affairs and corporate America for that fat matter because like you said we've all seen where you know yeah they interview but they already got the picks they already know who's going to get hired they're just doing this to you know meet some legal requirement or whatever um i think that's where structural racism gets involved and you know i know some people hear that 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 phrase structural racism they oh boy here we go here they they getting ready to cop out of personal responsibility which is the you know the buzzword um in certain circles and you know, oh, you know, it's just reverse racism. They want affirmative action. They want handouts and all that kind of stuff. But no, really, it's about it's the intersection of equity, um, which is another dirty word. There's and there's an ethical question there. You know, if this is supposed to be a vision that a business that is non-discriminatory, and then there's, I want to say, is justice or or doing the right thing. Because when you talk about these situations where, you know, let's say you are a hiring manager and you have to go and pick uh, a bunch of people and you have relationships with some of the the candidates, you know, number one, are you making an ethical choice by favoriting some of your candidates? Number two, you know, is this the right thing for the organization if you're just creating this insular environment? But even stepping back many, many, many steps before you even get to resumes and a hiring manager decision, 
when we talk about systematic racism, we're not talking about like the the perception that people think like, oh, when you say racism, it's people in white hoods burning crosses on people's lawns. You know, that that's not really a thing that happens as much anymore. Then I think about things like Charlottesville, where little people were literally walking around talking about blood and earth, Nazi type kind of stuff, tiki torches, so it's making a comeback. But when we talk about structural racism, we're talking about the situation that created this whole decision-making chain in the first place. So you have a professional environment. Let's look at the pipeline that gets these professionals into this environment. Um, are you recruiting from places that have a minority presence or a, you know, a diverse presence? Um, are there programs in place in those communities to even get these people into the schools to start going towards this profession? Um, are the people that you're looking to looking at for diversity hires you know, are the, the places where they live is public education funded? You know, do they have family members that are locked up? Do they have caregivers? Do they have nutrition that's available when they're kids so that their brains can develop? You know, and, th and that's the part that really makes a lot of people uncomfortable because they, they look at that and they say, oh, I don't have any control over that. But really, it's like every day we make decisions and every election we make decisions about whether or not we want the status quo to stay as it is, or are we willing to, quite frankly, sacrifice some of our comfort with the status quo to help our fellow citizens, our fellow human beings become better? Because there's this whole like idea that, oh, you know, this should be a meritocracy. Everybody should, you know, be rewarded based on, you know, their their character and how much how hard they're willing to work and personal responsibility. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. If we were all starting from the same place in the year 2021, 2022. Um, but the fact of the matter is, since 1600s, first 200, you know, 200 and almost 50 years of being in this country, black folks were enslaved or second class citizens. So all of that difference doesn't just go away. Like you don't get to just say, well, you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and then ignore all the stuff that got people in the ghetto. They got people being renters for three generations. They got people not being able to own businesses for multiple generations and not having any kind of generational wealth or the connections, more importantly, to, to even be in this favorite group when you're making to this higher decision. Room, that part. Yeah, to be that in the room. So yeah. it's like when, when, you, when you get to that hiring manager after all this history and after all this stuff that goes in, you have to ask yourself, am I going to perpetuate the history that's got us here, or am I going to not hire somebody who's unqualified, but am I going to cast the net wide enough to give somebody who deserves a chance, a chance that wouldn't normally get it? That's oh, that, man. You that know was, what I'm saying? If, if for real, my thing is do what you say you're doing. Be diverse. <laughs> if we're going to say, you know what I'm saying, it's equal opportunity, let's do that. Yeah, let's, and, and that's what know, it comes down to. Is they have, you know, they can meet the letter of the law. They can meet the letter of policy just by throwing stuff out there, even if they have their picks. But, you know, personal responsibility cuts both ways. And it's like in your heart of hearts, are you doing the right thing? There you go. And, 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 and in most of those rooms, I'll say a lot of those people don't have a moral compass or they, they have a moral compass. But most of the time, money overrides Money overrides or they have their their communities and their their tribes that they belong to that says that, you know, if you go and do the right thing according to what the, the you know, the, the morals of this country are supposed to be and what this country is supposed to be about, 
is your com- is the backlash from your community going to be worse than not doing the right thing? Because not doing the right thing is an easy decision. Nobody will ever know. Nobody is around to hold you accountable. You could go the rest of your whole life not being held accountable for a decision. But the second that you step out of line with the people in your community that say that, hey, we don't we don't do that. You in a fight. And that's what Martin Luther King was talking about when he was talking about the white moderate. It's like, you know, any day we, we do this all day, every day. You know, I can't stop being black. But the right. minute that you decide that, hey, I don't really like this fight, you can go back to just not caring. Just don't be in the way. Just just step out of the way. What What's the phrase? The uh, uh, evil men succeed because good men do nothing. That's all it takes is to do nothing. Easiest thing in the world. It is, man. It is. Um, I was going to ask this question for the group, but I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer. Do y'all feel like affirmative action is still needed in this country? Ooh, let me jump on what affirmative action is. Affirmative action, who is the largest group of people that benefit from affirmative action? Would you like the answer? The largest minority in, in, in the United States of America is, drum roll please, the white female. I was just about to say women. <laughs> I was just about to say that. So that right there should tell you everything you need to know. Affirmative action benefits people think are going to people of color. However, they are going to uh, white women. That is a factual statement. That is how it's been. So when we ask the question about do we want to remove affirmative action, do we want to stop giving benefits to white women? Is that what we're asking? Hmm. Because that's primarily where they go. Yeah. And, and let's be clear about something. You know, we, we talk about this, you know, we bring up white women because, you know, it's a statistic and everything like that. But I think a lot of people get hung up on this conversation thinking that this is a zero sum game, that in order for me to win, that you have to lose. And that's really not the case. You know, that that's only the case if you're going to keep the, the pie artificially small. So there are ways for everyone to advance, you know, white women only got the, the you know, women's suffrage movement in the, in the 50s. You know, they've only had the franchise for under a century at this point. So, you know, there there's some real progress to be made. But like you're saying, you know, when you think about affirmative action and people are like, oh, you know, those such and such minorities aren't getting anything. Well, you know, it's not primarily targeted at us these days. So, nah, nah. And, and, and that's 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 my thing It's like. I give two farts about affirmative action, I really didn't agree with like segregation because it literally destroyed the black economic system. Back in the days, our dollars would circulate, you know, 10 times in our community before it leaves. Now it's it's in our community for less than, you know, 30 seconds. Our schools, we, every, 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 every school was black teachers. The kids saw black teachers. They saw black lawyers, black entrepreneurs, um, black scientists. Everybody was in that one community. And everybody took care of each other. Okay. Soon as segregation came, guess what? Everybody dispersed. How many, uh, how many black business owners do we know that's, that's crossed the block from us? Right. So you said, how many doctors that we know down, you know, within five, five houses from us that we actually cool out with it and we tight with it. Right. those, Those nuances were destroyed and, and, and it was, and it was strategic. The way that they did it, 
Because yeah. once you once you start breaking down the money, the house, guess what? You break down the culture, the yeah. community. Period. And that's where we are. And everybody pissed off because we ain't got nothing. But guess what? It was already planned to run like that from 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 the beginning of segregation. All they did was really looking at it now. All they did was take our businesses, put their name on them, make a whole bunch of money, and 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 give a certain groups like now content creators. Right. This ain't nothing new. Content creators has has been way back there. You look at at at, at dope dealers. All you know, what I'm most of us that grew up in the hood looked at the dope dealers and what we we wanted what they was doing, right? We saw them. It was like, man, he got a dope. I want me a nice ride. He got a Gucci sweatsuit. I want me a Gucci sweatsuit too. But guess what? That was all designed to break down the 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 culture, and that's that's where like affirmative action and all of these things is like, no. Not so much, and I know a lot of black people get pissed off when I start saying stuff like that. But truth be told, no, let's 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 get back to excellence. Let's get back to taking care of one another. Let's get back to reach one, teach one, going out and mentoring young men um, and young women. Because truth be told, these these sisters got got it right. right. They're going to school. They're starting businesses. They're partnering with each other. They're taking girl trips and, 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 and doing self-care and all of these different things. And guess what? That's what all of us need to be doing. But we we got so we 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 got so caught up on affirmative action and segregation and all of these other things to where we forgot about the true essence of our community and what we stood for back then. And I think that's 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 my biggest problem. I don't know who said it. Um but I heard somewhere where they said um, we would have been better off if it was still separate. And matter of fact, that one reason why they even agreed to to desegregate, to your point, Dave, was to essentially take take away our, our power, right? Because you had stuff like Black Wall Street, you had like the the HBCUs, like bro, like imagine if HBC, like if we were still segregated. Just think about it like this, and even even in this, some of the most Prominent athletes um, in, in in sports have come out of HBCUs. Like, could you imagine? Like, like if well, I think Jerry Rice did go to HBC. HBCU, he did, but, yeah. You know, and he's he's on he's considered one of the greatest of all time. But I'm just thinking, like, if if every black athlete had had could only have gone to a HBCU, how dominant would, would those colleges have been? You know what I'm saying? Um, well, and so, I, and I'll oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. Well, and, and so that's 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 from just a, a standpoint of athletics, but like today's point, um, you know, take that same concept and apply it to education. You know, where now you're sitting in a classroom where someone wants you to succeed. They they want you to thrive. They want you to go and, and, and be the innovation that, that, that you want to see in your community, how much further we would have been. And I'm not, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm for segregation. That's not what I'm saying. But it is an interesting thought, especially when you look at other communities in America and how tightly knit. Now, again, I'm not saying that they're segregating themselves, but you got to admit they look out for each other. 
they live amongst each other. They make sure that their money, their currency flows through their own businesses. But like, I didn't, I didn't even notice it until one day somebody pointed it out that a lot of individuals of the um, API community, um, Asian and Pacific Islander, they don't even buy American cars. <laughs> uh, I noticed majority, it. No. Majority of them only buy like, you know, foreign cars, like, you know, and, and mainly um, from, from the continent of Asia. And so stuff like that is it's like it's it's crazy, dude. But that's that's the way they think, that's the way they move. And so well, that's how they keep keep everything in house. Yeah, and half of those most of those foreign cars are manufactured in Mexico or Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> this is true. But um but I like where you ended that, where you were talking about I think what you and Dave are arguing for is solidarity. Um yes, because the, the the issue that I have with, with the argument that segregation wasn't all bad is that the, the premise of segregation was separate with equal, was, was the legal term they used to, to justify segregation in the United States up until, you know, 1964 or what have you. Um, the problem was it was not equal. You know, it was separate, but it was not equal. You know, we were not afforded the same investment from this country while still being subject to its laws and its rules and its taxes and its levies that the dominant culture was. And that that that's the issue. It's like, yes, we had block Wall Street, but there was also actual Wall Street where all the real money was happening. And solidarity, we could have continued solidarity going through it, but part of um after segregation, I mean, but part of it was because number one, you know, we didn't have, you know, we didn't come over here as immigrants. We didn't we didn't come um as like a group of people that had some kind of common culture ancestry the way that immigrants do from certain countries you know we had suffered through 200 years of slavery so you know we had our I mean, north versus south east versus west you know all this kind of stuff which made it relatively easy to fragment our communities um with interstates lending laws all this kind of stuff so i agree with you guys that we are sorely we have been lord sorely lacking in solidarity in our community i think that's changing with our generation especially but um I think that in order for this country to live up to its stated ideal, segregation was always going to have to end. And I think it's a good thing that it did end. Um, and I also think that affirmative action is not as necessary now as it was back in the 60s, because in the 60s, there were certain parts of society that we were entirely unrepresented in. And there needed to be an effort in the in the effort of equity and justice to put representation in those places because if there's no black people in nasa how do you break in because right. in in the real world you know it's like yeah we could send ourselves to hbcus and all that kind of stuff if there's zero investment from the outside country zero people to come from a nasa to say hey come work with us you know no pull into that kind of thing we'll have our communities and everything like that but there's an artificial cap on where we're really going to go in any reasonable time span in that kind of situation. So that's kind of where I stand on the whole thing. You know, it's, we could have done with a much larger dose of solidarity within our communities across the states, but I, I think that affirmative action was definitely necessary. And I think it's still necessary in certain communities, uh, certain professions rather right now, but not nearly as much as it was in the past. I agree with everything you just said. And but. the only thing I, it's not even a but, I, I'm gonna add to it. All I'm saying is, and not not to say we would have had Black NASA. I ain't, I ain't saying that. 
Because I, I don't know how many black people going to get on the ship and go to the moon. All I'm saying is, it just seems like in this country, when you look at the history and the pattern, as soon as we start to come up, they, they, they there's a level of threat that they see us as, and then we get knocked down. Like, well, now you're now you're leading now you're leading into the the question of sovereignty, and now you start now you're starting to invoke the story of Haiti, the first you know African colony to come on. you know earn well, win its own independence. There you go. And look how the French and the United States and the City Bank of New York. <laughs> screwed over Haiti for the last century. Um, then you start talking about the African continent, you know, places like Liberia, which was slaves that, you know, it was like, hey, we're going back to Africa now that we got some freedom. Look how the rest of the world did them. So it's, it would have been wonderful if there was some undiscovered land of, of uh, part of land on the, you know, um, on the earth that we could have all been like, all right, hey, we don't this United States thing. Let's go make our own American dream over here. But you know, we stuck here in America. <laughs> what, what, what's crazy is like, you look at, so like, you know, I went to the um, Historical Black um, Museum in D.C. Um, really? I, I forget. Yeah, like, uh, well, it was a couple years ago, like like okay. when I was, last time I was in D.C. And so, bro, I'm walking through it and like, you get to the portion where they talk about reconstruction. Bro, it was like 200 cities. Mm-hmm. 200 yeah. black cities yeah. that got started in reconstruction. Yes, Ain't yes, now one still standing. Well, no. you have to remember why. It's because the North sold us out. They sold us out for assurances that the the South, the politicians in the South, would not tank the presidential nomination in that year. That they, that the, the president that they wanted, and they sold us out. They pulled the Union armies out of the South, and they pulled the protections, which really it was it was our protection from reprisals away from us. And then all the the segregationists and the the you know previous slave owners came in and it wasn't like they voted us out of office. They killed us out of office. They ran us out of office. They ran us out of town. Like where do you think all that Jim Crow stuff happened? It's because reconstruction ended, union armies pulled out because they were the ones that were there making sure that we could get elected into office, start our own towns and everything like that. And that's why a lot of black people are disaffected because at every turn the United States sells us out. But here's here's the thing, like even looking at those situations, um, if we if we were to continue, we wouldn't even be talking about the NFL. You know what I'm saying? That wouldn't even be a conversation right now, right? You know, we wouldn't we wouldn't even have to think about that. That that would that would be absolutely nothing. Because look at what percentage of the NFL is 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 look like us seventy. It would have been nice if we could have, you know, they had the, what is it, the AFL and the uh, the CFL, you know, if there had been a black lead that came in as an equal partner to create the NFL. And see, it, and, and, and what's, what's, what's crazy to me is, is this, we've always been able to generate money. Yep. We've always been, gener- we've always been able to generate money. What we haven't been able to is continually push down generational wealth. Well, since we've been on the NFL, let me ask a question. This is not, I know I've been asking a lot of rhetorical questions and questions that I know the answer to, but NFL has 32 teams. How many black coaches do you think they have in the NFL? I'll make it easy. 
head, head coaches. coaches. How, how many black head coaches? Oh, it's only one. The answer is one. The answer is one out of 32, right? One black coach. Officially, the NFL is 70% black. How many, how many owners of color do we have in the league? None. The answer is one. Shah Khan, Jacksonville. Wait, wait what? Yeah, Shah Khan is a Pakistani American. <laughs> one. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I was thinking black. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So, 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 so that that tells you everything. You have a league that that is seventy percent black, one black head coach. Um, you have one. I think. Yeah, I think you have three coaches of color. You know, Ron Rivera is Latino. Mm-hmm. Um, the coach of the Jets. He is. Um, I forgot his cultural background, but I think you have one black coach, and I think overall three of color. See that's that's crazy, you know, and, and and that's all that I'm saying. Like, that's 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 the only point. Like, like you you spoke directly to what I was saying about you know the whole segregation piece. We're playing and we're making all the money, right? Yeah. But guess who's controlling the money and the generational wealth? Yeah. That part, that that part is what was crazy to me. I know we don't have the time for this topic, but there was another topic along these lines that I've been thinking about a lot. Is um, think I think about the cost of entry into a lot of these uh, organizations. You know, we're not just going to hit sports, but one of the ones that we can touch on really quickly is baseball. What does it cost to get into baseball versus what does it cost to play football and uh, basketball? What do you need to play basketball? You need a hoop and you need a ball. Anybody can buy that. The cost of entry is relatively low. What does it cost to play football? You need a football, you need a field, you need a team. But in order to succeed in football in those high dollar positions, we'll specifically speak about quarterbacks. Most quarterbacks at this point, um, they're from a pedigree. They've gone to quarterback camps. You know, you can look at like my favorite quarterback, Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson went to, I think, Peyton Manning camp as a kid. You know, a lot of these, a lot of these top athletes, that cost of um, they, their parents invested in them or people invested in them, and they had to go to these camps. Same thing with baseball. Once you pass T-ball, there's a cost of entry. You have to buy equipment. You have to have a team. You know, I used to work at a golf company, and it's the same thing. Why can't everybody just go play golf? Yeah, outside of putt putt, or you know, the driving range, golf is a very expensive. You got to have clubs. You have to have uh, you, you have greens fees. You have to be able to be a part of a club or an organization where you can get quality access to greens. So I look at that. I look at the opportunities presented. Um, I have one of my best friends. His daughter is in swimming. How did she get into swimming? Because within her community and within their peer circle, there are other people that do that. So she started out young. Because you sit and watch these things and you see Olympics and, you know, how did that person become an Olympic uh, curler? You know, how did that person, you know, it, it's, it's it's entry points and that's access. And let's go back to schools. I'm in a situation now where uh, my oldest child is about to start school. Looking at where the starting point is, you know, what types of schools, you know, what types of programs are they offering? All these things matter. And a lot of it is, you know, let's go back to the almighty dollar. You know, 
people don't want to admit this part, but when black people were dealing with redlining and gerrymandering and and all of these things and, you know, currently, you know, system racing. But anyway, that house that you're that someone's pawpaw has that just sold for one point two pawpaw paid fifteen thousand dollars for that house back in 1928. Mm-hmm. That same house that people that look like me didn't have an opportunity to buy. So it's, 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 you know, it's easy to say that, well, your family's been renting an apartment for 75 years. Well, why didn't they ever buy a house? <laughs> why didn't they buy a house? Where were they going to buy said house? Go ahead. Who's going to lend them the money? Who's going to lend them the money? Yeah. All, all perfect points, bro. So, um, do y'all want to touch on, um, our last topic was centered around, um, black culture in regards to tech. Um, mainly dealing with uh, musicians and Spotify and and just different platforms where um, we have a large influence on. Um, And it it sounds like, you know, as of late, I think, Mike, you mentioned it in regards to um, a popular uh, person on Spotify and some of the outrageous things that he says. (laughs) Um, It seems like a lot of uh, Black artists are starting to remove their content from, from Spotify. Um, how do you guys feel about that? Again, like, do, do you feel like we're turning into a cancel culture? Um, and is that a good thing? Uh, <laughs> I think that there are parts of the culture that think that that is really doing something. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget what, what did they call it? There was, there was a term for it. Uh, I'll just use a substitute term, armchair activism, where they, they think that by making a, a post on Facebook saying, I don't agree with this, or, you know, wearing some shirt that says this is bad, that they're that they're actually doing something and they're having some kind of effect to the level of like, oh, I'm raising awareness. Um, and it makes them feel good, um, makes them feel like they did something, but in reality, it has not moved the needle. Um I feel like the Spotify stuff is, it's, it's nice. Um, it matters because you do vote with your dollars, especially when it comes to a private company, but they might be better served by giving a platform to people who can push back against that kind of narrative mm. and throwing their money and their influence behind political candidates that are actually able to make a difference because Amen. I could sit here and talk till I'm blue in the face, but if I don't vote, which Mike, I mentioned uh, something to you about, I made my first public comment on a certain platform. Um, mm-hmm. There was a certain person, I'm not going into this because I ain't trying to get in right. trouble on the internet, <laughs> but they were basically saying, hey, uh, certain people should sit out the next election to punish people that ain't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, mm. So you heard that narrative before, I'm sure you could put the dots together, but I was like, all you're doing by sitting out the next election is you're making sure stupid. the other side that definitely doesn't give a damn about you wins. And then <laughs> once they're done doing what they want to do, when you do decide it's important enough to vote, you won't be able to, or your vote just won't matter. So do it at your own risk. Um, I think people do a lot of this stuff because it makes them feel good, but uh, the real political players in this country have known that if you want something to happen, you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to show up at the polls. So this is true. I, I no. agree. But even going back to like, just looking at the Spotify piece, um, 
the the, gen, the generation, the baby boomer generation, and the link to Neil Young, those are the ones with money right now. You know, yeah, those those are the ones that that's that's making some decisions. And he, Neil Young, he pulled his his catalog, and then he got enough money to, to, to now get with some smart young cats, pull up a, a a space on on this whole metaverse piece, start selling them NFTs, and make a whole lot of money. Which will they do it? I don't know, <laughs> but hey, could be a. I just, I just got to throw in, Meta just dropped 26% on the stock market on the earnings, man. You got to be careful with this Metaverse stuff. Hey, you Bro, know what, though? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing with it, though. The, 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 whole, the whole stock market is stinking right now, and it's resetting. That's yeah. And that's what they do. They reset. When it start dropping, I ain't worried about it. I'm, I'm going to buy me some more. Bro, and then when I buy me some me. more, depending on what it is... I'm finna make me some money. Cause you you look, you know what I'm saying? You look at Bitcoin. You know what I'm saying? 90 days yeah, I ago. I was thinking about that the other day. <laughs> 90 days ago, you sitting at 60K. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right now, I'm getting it for a discount. Half off. <laughs> Bro. So now I like here's my take on it. Stuff like that, I love it because they always gonna do that so that they can make more money. Always See, the thing is, we've been left out the game for so long, most of us didn't there even know go. that. There like, when go. the 08 crash happened, look how many people was, like, losing my, oh, my God, I'm, I'm losing everything. <sighs> how many people had the mindset, yo, we need to buy? Right, it's, it's time but to buy. But if right, I had the capital that I had right now, I'd have been like, hey, all three of y'all, let's go buy us some duplexes over here and it's not so bad side of town that's been foreclosed on and make some stuff happen. Bruh, bruh, here's, here's what we don't get, like, this whole metaverse stuff is so new and on the cuff. Like, let's let's look at it like um, dot com mm-hmm. or even Amazon. Amazon. So 10 years down the road, that's just going to be the business. Because I, I know when I, I looked at Amazon, I'm like, ain't no way nobody finna buy stuff, not be able to try it on. You know what I'm saying? And, and they get delivered to their house. That's just stupid. Bro, I just, Guess what? I just bought some clothes from off Amazon. <laughs> Just bought some shoes, bro. Guess what? And like we old heads, we don't get it, but these kids have already been programmed. They playing Roblox. Um, what's the other big one? Um, Roblox and Fortnite. Uh, Fortnite. That's the other one. They got kids making millions Fortnite competitions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So whenever you look at whenever you look at people pulling their catalogs and doing different things like that, depending on how, the circle that they in. That's what like these cats finna start like record deals, the record record industry, bro. They finna take a beating, cause now people could make an NFT and they could sell their album for a dollar if they following is strong. Bro, they get royalties off of what they the the artists are made, and the artists don't have to sign with with these big companies. They control everything, bro. You just made a lick, so I. I'm I'm looking at these whole, especially with that Neil Young when he did it. That was kind of that was like lights on, um, pulling from Spotify. Spotify gonna do what they gonna they, they gonna do. They gonna put out apology. They gonna put out a policy letter, and somebody gonna get hit across the head. And I think they don't. I think they double down because from a podcast standpoint, 
that person is one of their bread and butter artists. He, he's not going to get bucked because he bring him too much money. That's what I'm saying. He is he he is their Howard Stern. Yeah. Right. So he he he's it. Yeah. yeah he grandfathered in. But somebody going to try something and they, they're going to throw the book at him because they ain't making that type of money. Yeah. Kind of like with my boy Dave Chappelle and Netflix. Netflix is like, <laughs> we stand by well, Dave. <laughs> I, speaking, of, speaking of Dave Chappelle, on that topic, you know, I know a lot of people have been talking about the music industry and that sort of thing. Um, when I think that's where perspective goes back in. Dave Chappelle was not a a wealthy man. You know, he had been fair. He'd been very successful prior to the Chappelle show, but his contract that he signed before he took the Chappelle show, there's no way he had the, the forethought to know where the Chappelle show was going to transcend. Right. And that, and that's the same thing when you look at like, I think an example, yeah. When you look at artists, you know, an artist, depending on what their situation and their background, like now to get hot, they'll sign 360 deals. I don't know if you all know what a 360 deal, 360 deal means that they get a piece of everything you touch. When I say everything, I mean everything. Your podcast feed that you're getting, they touch that. That that uh those uh your your Instagram page royalties, they get a piece of that. Everything. But your your mindset is if you had nothing, this is something. So now, bringing the conversation full circle back to a lot of other topics, you look at you look at sports. You know, we've been talking about the NFL. Uh maybe next time we could talk about the NBA and what makes them different. But with the NFL, the NFL is probably one of the largest class systems in an organization that's that publicly known. So when people say, well, why don't the guys just walk out? You know, if they were to come out on the field one minute after they were supposed to, things would change. Yes, they would. However, you have up here, you know, you have the whoever the highest paid player is and you got practice squad players who make 30 grand. So how do you convince somebody that's making, you know, $200 million over five, six years or whatever, whatever it is, something crazy to agree with somebody who is, is lucky to be on the team. Right. So that's, that's another reason things don't change the fin- the financial. <laughs> it goes back to solidarity. Yeah. And I, I, you know what I'm saying? But, but even with, with, you know, the culture, bro. Like, if it cancel culture, if everybody decide to cancel that walk today, guess what? Nothing, you know. And especially with going back to like um, Spotify, we was talking about um, the situation with cancel culture. I think it's bull. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to be totally honest with you, I think it's bull because it gives most people a, a scapegoat to not talk about um, the real issues and not deal with. You know the real conversation. Okay, we have a disagreement, so let's let's sit down and figure this thing out. Um, there's just now it's like, nope, I don't like you. I'm gonna get everybody else that's like think like me that don't like you, and we all gonna stop and get a whole other group that don't know what's going on to stop liking you too, which is bull. Yeah. Like, and it hey. only really works if both if if everybody's interested in holding people accountable. If only one side is, is holding their people accountable, that means they'll try to hold the other side accountable. It won't work because they don't care. And they'll hold their own people accountable. And they'll just and look what happened with uh what was it? Um 
Who's that senator that was right here taking pictures, touching on people and that kind of stuff? And Democrat. Oh, dude out of Alabama. Oh, was um, was he was a comedian. He was a comedian. I think he was in New York or something like that. I don't remember his name. Anyway, oh, Democrats will hold their people. Yeah, yeah we'll hold our people. Um, or I'm not a Democrat. Um, hold our people <laughs> accountable and take out power players, that kind of stuff. But if the other side don't want to do it, <laughs> all you're doing is shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm stuck yeah. on who been touching people. <laughs> well, you know, I'm stuck on he was, he was he took a picture where he was like acting like he was feeling up on somebody. <laughs> nah, he 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 was groping somebody. All right, y'all. Hey, man, what a hell of a way to come back, right? I mean, start the season off right. We jumped around. We hit some heavy topics. Um, appreciate y'all, brothers, for dialing in. Everybody that tunes into this episode, love y'all, man. Appreciate y'all listening. Um, Again, man, always feel free to drop us a line. We got our Facebook at FYFPod, email address FYFPod at gmail.com. And then our phone number is 407-243-8449. Feel free to drop us a line. Let us know what you think of the show and any recommendations. Again, man, thank y'all brothers for tuning in and look forward to the next one. God bless.